Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. Y'all at the Concord location, welcome to all of our locations, by the way, but at the Concord location, Pastor John earlier talked about Palm Sunday being a party, and it is, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but there ain't no church party like an Easter party, like an Easter party, and that is getting ready to happen, and so we've got all, all, these, all these services, and the reason we do this is not because uh, I want to preach more services. In fact, the 1130 service, um, if you see just, just like lostness in these eyes, um, you may get Pastor Doug unfiltered at the 1130. I don't even know what I'm saying by this point. So uh, the reason we do this is just to give more opportunities to reach more people. And so there is no celebration like Jesus busting out of the tomb. So we figured, we figured, why not throw a praise party next week and... Um, we may just give you some 21st century candles as you come into the auditorium. These are not weapons. <laughs> Those of you with small children, aren't you thankful that you're not going to get wax on any of your kids or they're not going to set your hair on fire? So we're gonna, we are going to throw down. It's going to be awesome. I just heard this statistic this week. This is so cool. Um, people on Easter Sunday, so we've been talking about multiply, right? Greatest year of evangelism. We've been talking about um, um, who's in your frame. Remember for our first week or second week with our, our multiply series and, and just believe in God for amazing things. So you've got somebody that you, you've been praying for. Um, they tell us that people on Easter Sunday are four times more likely to say yes. So this is the person that told you no three times already. Let's try again, right? Bring somebody, um, bring somebody. And, and most of the time, here, here your pastor, I didn't say this at the other services. You can bring anybody, anybody. But most of the time, this is not a, a random stranger. It could be, it could be. We're, we're certainly open to that. Um, we're not asking you to bring your Baptist brother-in-law. We're asking you to bring somebody that's far from God, like far from God, and that they would get introduced to Jesus. And this is all, all what being an evangelist is. Ready? Ready? Hey, I had a, ate at an awesome restaurant. Come eat with me at this restaurant because the food was really good, and I'm going to bring you to the restaurant with me. That's what being an evangelist is. It's like, Hey, Jesus changed my life, and it happened in this church, so would you just come with me? And, like, that's, a, that's what being an evangelist is. So you're all evangelists. Bring somebody with you. We've got uh, three experiences next Sunday, and Concord, two at Davidson, three at Davidson, including Monday, Monday night, and, and uh, Espanol, and then Good Friday. Um, Good Friday, if you have not been to a, a Good Friday celebration, it's one of my favorite services of the year. It's kind of... Um, Easter, Easter praise party, Good Friday is kind of this uh, lit, more liturgical service, but it's uh, liturgy set on fire by the, by the Holy Spirit. So it's just a really cool combination. Lots of, and again, bring, bring anybody. Uh, we've, we've got a noon one for those of you that get out of work or off work. Come at noon. It's going to be super cool. And then uh, again in the evening at 7 o'clock. But especially, we have a lot of people moving in from out of state with a Catholic background. This would be a great opportunity to bring maybe the person in your frame has a Catholic background. Bring them to that. We're just going to believe. Can we believe for more salvations than we've ever had at Easter? at CFA. Can we believe for that? 
So Palm, Palm Sunday, I've asked Corey to, to stay up here and, and play behind me because for Palm Sunday, I wanna, I wanna tell you a story. I just wanna tell you a story and every good story has a soundtrack. And so as I tell the story, he's gonna kind of give the soundtrack behind the story. So Palm, Palm Sunday, um, we, we know like what occurred on Palm Sunday, but do you know, do you, do you know the story of Palm Sunday? Can I be honest with you? I got a couple of degrees and studied the Bible for a while. I didn't know the story of Palm Sunday. So we know the parade event, right? If you've you've been around church, you know that Palm Sunday is about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's getting ready to uh, go to the cross and people are taking their cloaks and laying them down and they're taking palm branches and Hosanna. So let, let me read the story, but really let me tell you the story behind the story of Palm Sunday. Luke chapter 19, if you've got your copy of God's Word, if not, you can follow along on the screen. But Luke chapter 19, after telling this story, Jesus, Jesus loved to tell stories. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples, and he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, Any good southern town has a church with Bethpage and Bethany and Mount of Olives somewhere in the name. Sometimes multiples. And he sent two disciples ahead. And so go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you're going to see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord has need of it. If you don't think that there's a miracle going on already, just try this in the parking lot after church. Pick out the car that you want to leave in. It doesn't have to be the same car that you came in. Walk up to that individual, take their keys. And if they look at you strange, which they will, just say, the Lord has need of it. And you can just, you can just see where that gets you. Now you got to bring it back because Jesus brought the donkey back. But here we go. So they went out and found the cold, just as Jesus had said. And and sure enough, sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners came and asked them, why are you stealing our car? And they said, the disciples simply replied, the Lord has need of it. So they brought the cold to Jerusalem and they threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And as he rode along, the the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of them. And when they reached the place, the road started down toward the Mount of Olives. All of his followers began to shout and began to sing as they walked along, praising God for all of the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees, you know when you start to praise Jesus a little bit louder than somebody else is comfortable with? How many of you know that the religious people will try to pull down a Jesus party all day long? As soon as you start getting on fire from Jesus, I I tell you there's somebody that's religious in your life that will be something like this. But could could you love Jesus but just a little bit less? Could you you be involved in just a little less ministry? Could you you pull that back? That's That's what the Pharisees were trying to do. Teacher, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And Jesus said, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into tears. See, that's what Jesus is about, is Jesus is about these bursts of praise. But there's a parade, right? There's this parade. But have you ever stopped to think, where'd the parade come from? Well, pastor, it's Palm Sunday. Not yet, it's not. 
It wasn't Palm Sunday before it was Palm Sunday. Does that make sense? It's only Palm Sunday after it was Palm Sunday. They celebrated it to Palm Sunday. But so why were they having a parade? You ever been somewhere and just a spontaneous parade broke out? Like that doesn't happen a lot, conga line at a party, maybe, but I've never been in Midland or Mount Pleasant or uh, Harrisburg or Kannapolis or Davidson or Mooresville. I've never been to one of those places and you're just driving through downtown on a Tuesday and hey, look, there's a parade. No, it's never, it's never happened. So there was a reason for the parade and Jesus joined in a parade that was already taking place. So what, what was going on? They were celebrating a holiday. Anybody know what the holiday was? It was, it was Passover is what they were celebrating. I said, Pastor, I don't know what Passover is. Well, let me tell you what Passover is. Passover for the Jewish nation at this time was kind of like Christmas and Easter and the 4th of July, like all rolled into one. Passover was Independence Day plus. Passover was when the Jewish people celebrated their freedom from bondage to Egyptian slavery, which they had been in for 400 years, but it wasn't just their physical release from bondage, it was their spiritual birthday too. So again, it's Christmas, Easter, and 4th of July all rolled into a 400 years under oppression, heavy hand of slavery. Pharaoh was killing all the babies, all of the Hebrew babies, two years of age and under. Pharaoh, Pharaoh was every time the, the uh, Israelites would prosper and multiply, Pharaoh would make their task harder and, and more slavery. And, and so God called Moses and God brought Moses into this experience, into this encounter with a burning bush and God said, Moses, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. Moses said, how can I do that, Lord? I don't speak well. I stutter. And so he gave him uh, a staff and he gave him Moses and he gave him Aaron, his brother. And so they went into the presence of Pharaoh and God sent a series of 10 plagues. And every time, same time, same thing happened every time. A plague would come. Pharaoh would be like, obviously God's hand is on you. I don't want any part of this. Go, just go and worship God. Go and worship God. And then his heart would harden and he'd pull back. And then another plague, go worship God, and his heart would harden and pull back. And this happened three times, and then five times, and seven times. And you know like the devil does with you? Like he'll try to let you go as long as you don't serve God too passionately. As long as, long as you, here you, go, go, but don't lead a group. Go, but don't get involved in it. Go, but don't go to growth track. Go, 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 but don't go too far, don't go too far in your relationship with Jesus. The enemy's always trying to reel you in. The enemy's always trying to pull you back. And so here it finally got to the 10th plague. And this was the 10th plague. See, the Israelites lived in a part of Egypt known as Goshen. And none of the other plagues, the flies, the gnats, the frogs, the river turning to blood, none of those other plagues hit Goshen. Physically, they were only in Egypt. But this plague, the plague that was going to end all plagues, was going to be over all of the land unless, unless. So God told Moses that he was going to send a destroying angel and the firstborn in every, fa every family, Israelite or Egyptian, would pass away unless, unless the family took a lamb and not just any lamb, this had to be a blameless, spotless, pure, couldn't have a broken leg, couldn't, couldn't have any disease, couldn't have it. This had to be their best lamb. And listen, y'all, not just a lamb that they were raising for me. Like this was, this was a lamb that the kids had named. This was a, a lamb that the kids had played with. This was like the, the family pet. This was a, a part of the family. 
and they took their best, they took their best lamb and the, the father would sacrifice the lamb. And then he took something that makes us squeamish and we, we shy away from it, but it, they would take the blood of this perfect lamb and they would put it over the doorpost of their house. And when the death angel came over, anybody that didn't have the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their home, the firstborn would be killed. And in Egypt, that next morning, they woke up and everybody from Pharaoh's house all the way down to the most poor, there was weeping and there was wailing. But all of Israel, not one person passed away in Israel because they had the blood of the lamb. And so, and so that's why there's a party. Jerusalem is, Jerusalem is party town at Passover. Jerusalem, so Jerusalem has about 50 or 60,000 people, uh, except at Passover, it had hundreds of thousands of people. Jerusalem, Jerusalem was Concord during race week. Jerusalem, Jerusalem was Lake Norman over the 4th of July weekend. And so there was this, for the inhabitants of the city, it was kind of this love-hate relationship, right? Like everybody that lives in Concord, nobody goes to Concord Mills. When was the last time you were at Concord Mills? You can't even remember the last time you were at Concord Mills. But you especially don't go to Concord Mills during race week. Let all the tourists do that. You know, somebody told me about a sign uh, they lived in a place that had a lot of tourists, and they had a sign that said, if it's tourist season, why can't we shoot them? And I didn't know about that. I don't know if that was the best way to, to welcome. Like, David, Davidson, y'all. But it's like, it's, it's like Norman over the 4th of July, but there's this love-hate relationship because the tourists, they, make, they, make, they crowd our roads, and I got to wait for a restaurant now, and, and all your out-of-town relatives, guess who they want to stay with? They want to stay with you. And so your houses, there's all this, and you got preparations, and you got all of this, all of this stuff going on, but guess what else the tourists bring? They bring their money. And during holiday time, especially if you're a merchant, Cha-ching, right? So this is Jerusalem. They're like, ah, these tourists, but we love you. Tour come tourists, come tourists, because, because they, would, they would spend all their money in, in Jerusalem. So every Israelite family was supposed to come to Jerusalem once a year, and not just the men. This is where there was differences between uh, the Jewish religion and like Islam. So in Islam, the male would go to Mecca once during his entire lifetime. For the Jewish people, they would all come to Jerusalem. The kiddos, the aunts, the uncles, the grand, it was a family, family thing. And they would all go to Jerusalem to present their Passover lamb. It was a key moment because it was, watch this, it wasn't just, it wasn't just remembering the past. That was like their spiritual salvation. That was the salvation for their soul. And so Jerusalem's bustling and, and everything like that. And so, but, uh, so hundreds of years ago, they would all raise their lambs and they would bring a lamb with them. But it got to the point that it just got inconvenient. I mean, people were traveling from Galilee and from Bethsaida and, and from Dan and from Beersheba and all over the place. They were traveling into Jerusalem. So they're like, why would we bring a lamb? Let's just buy a lamb in Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is a city, and those of you that are city folk and you live in a condo know that you don't have a neighbor that raises sheep. If you do, you're calling somebody about that, right? So Jerusalem, Jerusalem is a city. Jerusalem is a town. Nobody raising sheep in Jerusalem. So where are they getting? Where are they getting? They need thousands and thousands and thousands of sheep during Passover to have this 
important holiday. So where are all of the lambs coming from? Do you know? Bethlehem. Bethlehem, that's where the shepherds live. The shepherds live in Bethlehem. And if you're a Bethlehem shepherd, you have one purpose. You are raising lambs for slaughter. You're raising lambs for sacrifice, but remember they gotta be perfect lambs. So if a lamb comes out and, is, and has a spot on it, you gotta kill the lamb immediately. If a lamb comes out and has a blemish on it, if a lamb gets sick, you gotta kill. And so they're just, they're birthing lambs, like continually, continually. And so you can imagine this process and the pressure of these Bethlehem shepherds because if a good lamb, if a perfect lamb comes out, you gotta protect it. You've got these stalls and you've got all these other animals and you've got cattle and you've got donkeys and everything. So you don't want that lamb to be getting, become trampled on uh, by, by some of the cattle because if the lamb breaks a leg, then it's not any good anymore. And I gotta, I gotta present this perfect lamb. So as soon as a perfect lamb would come out, these Bethlehem shepherds would take the lamb and they would wrap the lamb in swaddling cloths. And they wouldn't just place it on the ground because there's all this activity and there's all these people being born. And so I got to protect this. I got to protect this perfect lamb. I got to protect this precious lamb. And they would take the lamb that's wrapped in swaddling cloths and they would place it in a manger. Place it in a manger. You can imagine like just, I t I'll tell you, after the last several weeks in the Witherup household, I have an entire new respect for those that are involved in the animal birthing process, like all together. So, so our dog had puppies. This was, this was not planned. Oh yeah, okay, okay. All y'all all that just said, ah, oh, there are three of them that are not claimed. I will meet you in the lobby right afterwards. They're not, I'm not charging a thing for, I will deliver them to your house. Cause I know like they're cute, but the yap, all, you know, they're just in this yapping stage right now and early in the morning, but they won't for you. They'll be good for you, for you. <laughs> but Rosie, Rosie was with puppy. And so we're driving, Anna was with me, uh, and we were picking up some food. We were having some, some friends over to the house for, for dinner that evening, and Camden was, was going to pick up Cade from fine arts practice. And so I get home, and, and Rosie's laying in the garage, and Rosie usually runs out to meet me, and Rosie doesn't jump up immediately. And I'm like, oh boy. And I walk into the garage, or I start to walk into the garage, and I'm calling, hey Rosie, come here, come here, come here. And she is not getting up. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. And I walk over to Rosie and she's quivering a little bit. And so now I'm quivering a little bit. And, and, and I'm like, I'm like, I turn to my 10 year old. I'm like, baby, you gotta, you gotta be with Rosie. You gotta help, help Rosie. She looks at me. She's like, what am I gonna do? I'm like, what am I gonna do? So I call Camden because Camden's a nurse, not an animal nurse, but they gotta connect somehow, right? I don't know. Like <laughs> delivering puppies that like, and so she didn't answer her phone and I'm, I'm calling my sister-in-law because my brother and sister-in-law have, have some animals and she's really good at all that stuff and, and she's not answering the phone. And, and I'm like, y'all, I didn't even see my own kids being born, okay? And you can, oh, go ahead. You can judge me all you want, but I can't handle it. I was in the room. I was in the room, I had my face buried in my wife's shoulder. I was on my knees, kind of praying for Camden. I was more praying for me. I'm just being honest. That was the situation. That's, that's how I handle birth. And 
a lot of things in my life. And so, so this was this, there was this situation. So I did, Anna, I'm like, baby, go, go, can you? No, and she didn't want to, so I did. I had to, I had to do this, I had to do this. This is what I did. I hit close on the garage door and I went in the living room and sat down. <laughs> and this was my rationale. Dogs have been having puppies for thousands of years without my help. What am I going to do in that situation? And so I just, like, free puppies, free puppies after service. <laughs> but I have a whole new respect for these shepherds. They're just, they're birthing lambs. They're birthing these perfect lambs and, and Passover is coming and Jerusalem is, is bustling and everybody, everybody needs a lamb, but they don't need a lamb just on the day of Passover because even though, even though you didn't bring your lamb, you still had to spend time with your lamb for four days, for four days. You had to bring that lamb into your home. You had to love that lamb. You had to name that lamb. You had to put the family mark uh, on that lamb. You had to spend, spend time with that lamb. And so, uh, but Bethlehem is not Jerusalem. So how did they get those thousands of lambs that were raised for slaughter, that were raised for perfect sacrifices? How did they get those thousands of lambs from Bethlehem to Jerusalem? It was a parade. You see, you see what is going on here? You see what parade Jesus joined in? It was a parade. Bethlehem is six and a half miles south of Jerusalem. And so they would march these, these lambs being led, to, being led to slaughter. They would march these lambs. And there was, Jerusalem was a walled city. Like many cities, most cities in that day were walled cities and they had gates. And so they would open the sheep gate and these thousands of lambs that are being marched and paraded for slaughter. Jesus says, go get me that colt. And they put the, they put the cloaks over the colt and, and Jesus gets on that colt. See, Isaiah prophesies about this. Isaiah says this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb is silent before his shears, so he opens not his mouth. There was this parade. And this is, this fascinates me. So many things fascinate me about Jesus. And this is one of them. That this was one of the most public times of Jesus' ministry. You know, Jesus had this interesting relationship with, with crowds, didn't he? Jesus was totally for, for crowds. Jesus, was, Jesus didn't have any problem with mega churches. He preached to 5,000, feeding of the 5,000. Remember, that was men and we're not clowning women and children. So the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is like 20,000 on a Sunday no, morning. No problem. I got this. Let me, pre let me preach to them. But then Jesus would do this. He'd, he'd do this. What, what happened? He stepped in a boat and he, he withdrew. You're like, Jesus, I don't know that I learned that in church growth. Like you had 20,000 people. Let's... You, and then you withdrew. And then, and then with the miracles too, right? The miracles. And so Jesus heals Jairus' daughter. A, a, a little girl, a little 12-year-old girl was dead and pops up from her death. This is Insta story stuff. Like this is call the news crews in. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. And see, it's not about it's, watch this now. It's not about the right or wrong of uh, publicity or the announcing of a miracle. Don't hear that. It's about timing. It's about timing. 
It's about Jesus was, this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus was always on God's time and that's why he didn't have to live his life based on anybody else's time. And that's why you don't have to compare your situation with anybody else's situation. Point to yourself and say, I'm on God's time. I'm on God's time. And as long as you're on God's time, you're on time and it's okay. And you don't have to compare where you're at and your walk with Jesus with anybody else because you are where you're supposed to be with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're on God's, you're on God's time. But here Jesus, I would think during the miracles, during the crowds, when he preached the sermon on the mount, like the most famous sermon of all time, even people that aren't Christians talk about the sermon on the mount. Even people that aren't Christians can quote parts of the, the Beatitudes. I would think that was when Jesus would go public. I would think Jesus would go public in, in, his, in his miracles when he, when he healed the paralyzed man. I would think Jesus would go public. But Jesus is going public on the way to the cross. And I think I wrestle with that because I don't know about you, but I'm so opposite of that. I don't want my worst moment to be seen in front of everybody. I kind of like my best moments to be seen in front of everybody, if I'm being honest. So uh, last Saturday, last weekend was the, was the Spartan race. And a lot of people, talked to, to multiple uh, people who've run, run that race. And this year there were four of us that we'd run the sprint, which is like the three to five mile one. And then uh, this year we decided to run the super, which was the eight mile one. So we got there and run the race and things are going pretty well and coming up out of the woods. So people, the crowd sees you at the start. I like that part. I can start, I can start a Spartan race with the best of them. Here I go, no obstacles, I'm just running. I'm running. First, first year, I was like, don't sprint, Doug. This is a, this is a race, don't, spr don't sprint. You gotta run four miles, don't sprint. Uh, go, I was just sprinting around the first corner. I'm like, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have sprinted around there. So, but like I could start, I could start in front of a crowd, but then you finish in front of a crowd. And um, coming up out of the woods, had done pretty good coming up on that eight miles and there were two back to boom, boom, obstacle, obstacle. And if you fail an obstacle, you have to do 30 burpees, which is push up and jump up and 30 of those, which try those. Uh, like, go ahead, anybody, if you want to, you can do them in the aisle, that's fine. Uh, but the year before I had hit what was what I call the burpee spiral of death and it was not pretty. This year I'd, I'd only failed two obstacles. I was feeling good and I was coming out of the, coming out of the woods and there's the crowd, and there is obstacle, obstacle, finish line. Boom, boom, boom. And it was the rope climb, some uneven monkey bars, and then, and then the finish line. And I see some of my friends that were standing there, and, and one person had his camera, and I glanced over at the camera, and then, I, and then I looked at the obstacles. And the rope climb, no problem with the rope climb. I can climb a rope all day, hit the bell, no, no problem. No problem on the rope climb. The other one, that uneven set of monkey bars was the same set of monkey bars that the previous year, it, it kicked me out of the monkey bars. It spewed me onto the ground. It stood over me, taunted me while I was doing my burpees. And then I think it kicked me when I was trying to get up. Like it was, I did not have a good experience with the monkey bars. I didn't even get one. I didn't get monkey bar. I tried, to re I tried to jump up, I missed the first one, flat on my face, I'm like, here we go, burpee spiral of death, let's do them. And so I look over and there's my friend with the phone and I'm like, oh, okay, 
I see how it's going to be. You're going to get me. You're going to get me when I fail. You're going to find me, video me slipping off of the monkey bars, doing 30 burpees, and then I'm just going to be mad and I'm going to be grumpy and I'm going to cross the finish line. So I climb the rope, hit the bell, down the rope, go up, jump up on the monkey bars. I'm like, hey, I didn't miss. And then I go to the second rung of the monkey bars. I'm like, I'm still on the monkey bars. And I go to the third rung of the monkey bars, and I'm like, I am feeling awesome. And so I turn, and I'm like, where's my buddy with the camera? Hey, hey, cameras, can everybody get out your cameras? Can we, like, go, can we, face, can we Facebook Live this? Like, can we, you know, like, forward, I can go backwards on this if you want. Like, I can do it three times. Like, when I was, and so I, fi I finished the obstacle, and, I, and, then, and then the year before, you got to jump over a little thing of fire the year before. I was just like, you know, that this time, I'm like in my surfer pose because they snap a picture of you. I'm like, I want everybody to see me when I'm doing good. I don't want everybody to see me when I'm failing. And this is what I find fascinating about Jesus because Jesus turns the crowds away. It is miracles. But when he is on his way to the cross, listen, at that time, the cross was not something gold or silver that you put around your neck. It was a symbol of defeat. It was a symbol of humiliation. And Jesus is saying this, I don't want you to just worship me when I'm at my best. I want you to worship me when I am on my way to the cross to take death and hell and all of the sin of mankind upon me. And this is what that means for your life. Jesus didn't come to die for the best of you. Jesus didn't come to die for your Sunday morning self. He came to die for your lost self, for your lonely self, for your broken self, for your hurting self, for your inner self that you don't want any else to know about. Jesus is not afraid of the lonely, hurting, dead places in your life. That's what the cross is about. Jesus is not afraid to go public with the worst, the worst. He'll enter into that situation. And so here's the parade. Here's the parade of the lambs. And here's Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt, not on a not on a horse. He's supposed to be a king, but he's riding in on a colt on this parade of lambs, on this parade of lambs, and all around the sheep gate are the priests. And here's what the priests are doing. The priests are looking, and they're making sure they're looking at every single lamb. And they're saying, there can't be any blemish. There can't be any sin. There can't be any defect. There can't be any, there can't be any spot. They're making sure that all of the lambs that pass are perfect lambs. And then they're looking, they're looking for one lamb. So they had a lamb that was called the Pascal lamb. And the Pascal lamb, see, every family had to have a lamb, but the Pascal lamb was the lamb that was the most perfect out of the perfect lambs. And that lamb was for the sin of the nation. And John the Baptist had seen this years ago. The prophet Isaiah had seen this years ago. In fact, John the Baptist, when he saw his cousin for the first time, said this. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Born into sin 
sacrifice, the priest would look at all of them. He'd look at the little six-year-old in the eye. He'd look at the 14-year-old teenager. He'd look at the mom and dad. He'd look at the grandparents. He would look at the entire family, and he would ask the most important question of Passover. He would look at them because the lamb was going to be sacrificed, but he would look at them and say this, do you love your lamb? Do you love your lamb? See, the sacrifice was going to be made, but it couldn't be applied to their heart until they responded with, yes, I, lo I love, I love my lamb. I love my lamb. Do you, same question, church, same question. Same question. Jesus has gone to the cross. He is the perfect sacrifice. First Peter says it like this. For do you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors? And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which loses their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless and spotless lamb of God. And so the perfect lamb of God has already paid the price. But do you love him? Do you love them? Do you love them? Would, just, would you just close your eyes right now? And if you already love Jesus, would you just take a moment and tell him that? I love you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for paying the price. Thank you for, for the blood that was smeared over my heart. I didn't deserve it. God, when I was at my worst, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But there are some here with heads bowed and eyes closed that would say, Pastor, I haven't gone public with my love for Jesus. And today is my day. I want to make a public profession of faith that the blood of the lamb is over my life and that I will not succumb to sin or death because I wanna make Jesus Christ my personal savior. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, if you are within the sound of my voice watching online at any of our locations or sitting here in Concord, I'm gonna to count to three, not as a gimmick, but as a point of contact. And when I hit three, I want you to shoot up your hand as high as you can and say, that's me, pastor. I love the lamb of God. God and I want to make him my personal savior today. One, two, three. If that's you, just lift your hand. Awesome. And we are all going to pray together. CFA, let's pray this out loud. Let's say, Jesus, thank you for being the perfect lamb of God. I believe that you died for my sin and I believe that you rose again. And I ask you to come into my heart and cleanse me from my sin so that I can live wide awake to the love of God and fully alive to my purpose 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now would you stand? Would you stand? Yeah, let's celebrate. Celebrate as we stand. Nobody leaving. I got to tell you one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. You're going to, if you miss this, you're going to be like, oh, I can't believe I missed this. One more thing. One more thing. Here's the end of the story. So the priest then would take the Pascal lamb. All the families had celebrated the families, but he, the priest would take the Pascal lamb. And this was the end of the party. This was the end of Passover. He would sacrifice the Paschal lamb, and he would finish by saying the word tetelestai, which means it is finished. Come on, church, aren't you glad that it's finished? We are bought and paid for with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and we are going to celebrate his resurrection at Easter next Sunday. Thank you so much for joining us. Here at CFA Church, it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home. For more information about this community or to find out how you can connect, simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.